Welcome to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. COVID mixed messaging is leaving many Canadians confused. We discuss how the federal budget will impact you. The Blue Jays open their season Friday night at the Dome. The Hamilton Bulldogs, number one for the first time ever. Minor hockey in Ontario, meantime, making a great comeback. And Hamilton is getting a new Parkinson's Wellness Innovation Center. The GMH podcast starts now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. I'm very, very confident uh, as, as we see the uptick a little bit that we knew that was coming. And Dr. Moore mentioned it, and I've mentioned it publicly. Uh, we, we can handle this. Uh, we have the resources, we have the skill set, and uh, we'll, we'll get through it. Welcome back to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. That is the voice of Premier Doug Ford, who says he's not downplaying the increase in COVID cases in Ontario by calling it a little spike. Experts, however, are a little worried about some of the mixed messaging when it does come to masking and fourth doses of the COVID-19 vaccine. Here to talk about it is Dr. Carrie Bowman, bioethicist and assistant professor in the Department of Family and Community Medicine at the University of Toronto. Dr. Bowman, welcome back to the show. How are you today? I'm very well. Good morning to you. Are we getting mixed messaging from the provincial government, from public health officials? Well, you know, we are to a large extent, but look at it, and I'm not going to try and defend things here, but I, what I would say is this, the situation's fairly ambiguous. You know, we're, we're, Omicron has really, really behaved so differently than any of the others. And, um, you know, the depth of the, the threat from Omicron is, is really not what it was earlier on, in, you know, in relation to individual cases. So I think we are. I think we are getting some mixed messages, but... You know, it, it, it's a very hard situation to fully get your mind around. Uh, we don't have... So when I say it's ambiguous, what's ambiguous about it? Well, the, the thing mostly is the prevalence, the numbers, those types of things. They seem to be crazy high. Like, I don't know how many people you know right now that either have been sick in the last few weeks or are sick right now, but it's phenomenal. So it seems to be really, really high. And a lot of confusion. You know, I, I just came back from overseas and... So I'm asked at the airport, am I fully vaccinated? Which I am, but, you know, I don't know what the definition of that is, right? Is that, I'm triple, so, but I, the definition, the guy at Customs told me is two, by the way, because I asked him what the definition was. So, and now we're hearing three and maybe four. So, you know, this is very confusing to a lot of people. Uh, the NDP and the Liberals demanding the province reintroduce the mask mandate. Ford has balked at that. Is this only going to create more confusion and more divisiveness? It could. And I mean, I, I think, you know, if, if, if what we do know, although we may not have all the numbers, but if, if the situation clearly deepens, they, they may well do that. But look, the thing is, and again, no data. Um, but, you know, when I go to the grocery store, when I go out, I, I'm look, I could be wrong. And people listening will say, well, that's not my impression. But I, I'm guessing it's like somewhere around 80 percent of people at least are masked. I don't know if you, you feel that's a real reasonable number. But and that's not a proper analysis. So, you know, it's not that we don't have any. Um, and, you know, is it good enough? No. Does it help? Yes. So so, you know, we will see. But I think if we have to, we will. And and you know what, we'll have to take it as it comes. But I also would say this to simply say the reason for this sixth wave, which it appears to be, is completely at the feet of our government leaders. I, I'm not convinced that's fully true. Um, Omicron BA2 is particularly contagious and and you know 
it may have made it worse. There's no question about that. But are they fully responsible for this? I, I'm not convinced they are, by the way. Yeah, when I've visited uh, the, the, the mall, the grocery store, I would say it's about a 60-40 split, maybe 70-30 okay. in terms of those who are wearing, wearing masks versus those who are not. But again, very, very unscientific. It's just me kind of noticing things, and I'm no, not seeing the whole scope. No, different than my observation. <laughs> this is the whole problem. No, I know, but that's, that's actually valid. And what's valid about it is we just don't know. Yeah. And, you know, we're, we're both guessing. Um, and, you know, it could be somewhere in the middle, or it could be lower or higher. Who knows? But that's also the problem is we simply don't know. But, I, I, you know, the weather's about to change and, um, and we will see. But, yes, there has been a lot of confusion. And, and I think, you know, what I find most confusing is this fourth dose. You know, I, I, I'd also like to, I'm not suggesting for a moment, believe me, that it's not safe. But I'd like to hear more about what we know about multiple doses of vaccines over and over and over. Like, you know, what do we know about that? And, and, you know, some of the European research on the fourth dose isn't really there yet in terms of do we need it or not. Now, do we need it or not? People that are, you know, the frail elderly, people with vulnerabilities, there's no question. Because you want to, you know, with ethics like science, you do a risk-benefit analysis. And the risks for people in those categories are so high that the benefits are clear. Um, what they are for the rest of us, even a healthy 60-year-old, you know, I, I think we need to hear more about that. Well, and, and this is, uh, you know, another question mark and another bit of confusion for individuals, because the thought is, and the uptake for the third dose is is really low. I mean, only 40% or 47% of Canadians have a third vo- uh, dose versus 81% that have two. But the mm-hmm. sentiment is, or the thought is, why would I get a fourth dose when I don't even have to wear a mask? No, I know, I know. And, you know, here's something else is that if, God forbid. But if things go bad in the fall or something and we have a nasty new variant, we and if we've really worn people out with, you know, we're already at four doses and it was, a, you know, a massive battle to get people to take them. And, you know, it will be no further ahead. So and the rollout, the complexity and cost of the rollout is phenomenal. Like we've forgotten about that. So I'm not saying we don't do it, but another factor is we do have to be prepared for a a much worse wave. I'm not saying it's coming. I have no idea, but it's also not impossible. And if if we're twisting arms, you know, and and there's all this confusion with third and fourth doses, you know, we have to be prepared for something that could be much worse in the fall. And hopefully that's never going to come. We have another minute or so with Dr. Kerry Bowman, bioethicist and assistant professor in the Department of Family and Community Medicine at the U of T. You're listening to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. We've not seen or heard from Chief Medical Officer of Health Dr. Kieran Moore in a few weeks now. Does he have to come out and say something to, I don't know, reassure the public that everything's okay? I think it would help. I think it would help. Um, You know... He's actually, you know, and it's no conflict of interest. I've actually never met him, but I I actually respect the man. I I think he's got some very, very good judgment, and he's got a phenomenal track record on these things. I I think he, you know, he will come out if if the situation warrants it and it's crisis. I do think with this amount of confusion, he'd be very, very wise to make a statement. But look, let me just speak for a minute with our remaining time as an ethicist. What's really, really shifted here is... You know, all through this, most of the two years of this pandemic, we were told, you know, we have to protect other people. Therefore, these measures, even if they don't suit you, uh, you're protecting other people. That ethical message hasn't changed. But what has changed is you've got to figure this out for yourself. It's on your shoulders now to figure out, do you have someone vulnerable at home? 
How do you feel about, you know, community potential infection of other people? So the ethical message has really shifted from the big picture, the state kind of taking this on to to the individual. And I think we haven't really focused a lot on that. And and for a lot of people, the message is we don't have to do it, therefore none of this matters anymore. And that's not really what they're saying. What they're saying is you've got to figure this out for yourself. What's your comfort level and what what's your level of wanting to help protect other people in the community. And I think that message has been much, much too weak. It's a great observation. We'll certainly follow up with you on that in the uh, the weeks to come. Dr. Bowman, appreciate the time today. Happy to do so. Take care. And as Dr. Carrie Bowman, do- uh, bioethicist and assistant prof in the Department of Family and Community Medicine at the University of Toronto. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. At a time when our chief economic problem is that there is too much demand chasing too little supply, this set of people-centered policies provides exactly what Canada needs right now. Finance Minister Christian Freeland presenting the federal government's budgets, first budget since last summer's election, and says tackling the housing crisis is one of a number of priorities that she had laid out yesterday. The budget includes $56 billion in new spending to boost the economy, make life more affordable for you and I. Uh, Liberals dedicating more than $10 billion to help ease the housing crisis. Let's dive into the budget with Mahmoud Nanji. He is a fellow at the Lawrence National Center for Policy and Management with the Ivy Business School at Western University and a former Ontario Associate Deputy Finance Minister. Mahmoud, good morning. Thanks for joining us today. Good morning, Rick. Uh, Pleasure to be with you. Some people are describing this budget as modest. How would you describe it? Well, I think that might be a fairly good assessment of it. Uh, There's a couple of ways to sort of look at why people might think it's modest. Remember last year, uh, the Liberal government introduced a budget that was 700 pages, almost a tomb. Um, This year's budget is only 250 pages. Um, And last year, there was more than $100 billion of new spending, stimulus funding that uh, most people said was not necessary. This one's a little bit modest at $60 billion. And there seems to be a fiscal plan here to get to, to balance or at least reduce the debt to GDP. So I think that's uh, why the description of it being modest uh, applies. In saying that, there's a lot of shiny objects in this budget, a lot of things to look at and analyze. At the end of the day, what do you think is the main takeaway for Canadians like you and I? How are we going to be impacted by this? Well, I think there's a, a number of things here, right, uh, Rick? So. Obviously, at the top of uh, everybody's mind and the top of the government's mind was the whole affordability issue, which you talked about briefly there. And affordability is a number of things. Um, Obviously, the inflation issue is a global phenomenon, as the minister pointed out, um, driven largely by two big factors, energy prices and housing. Um, So there's very little that the Canadian government can do with respect to energy prices. On the housing side, um, it's used the levers that it could both on the supply side and the demand side, trying to increase the supply of housing by providing the kinds of supports it identified. And then on the demand side, um, really uh, trying to help uh, new home buyers with the uh, home buyer tax credit uh, available um, and, and other mechanisms like that. So affordability is, is top of mind. Climate change is another big issue. Um, the Ukraine war, um, the economy, and, and finally, having some fiscal responsibility, given, given the fact that we spent more than 
half a trillion dollars the last couple of years on the pandemic recovery. That is certainly a lot of money. Mahmoud Nanji is our guest fellow at the Lawrence National Centre for Policy and Management with the Ivy Business School at Western University and a former Ontario Associate Deputy Finance Minister as we dissect the latest federal budget from Finance Minister Christopher Freeland. Kids under 12 in households with an income of less than $70,000 annually are going to have access to dental care before the end of 2022. Another measure that is going to, I think, help a lot of Canadians. Is that, uh, you think, a popular line item within this budget? Yeah, Rick, it fits within, you know, this. Uh, the government's focus around helping the middle class and to the issue of affordability. So part of the affordability package is the dental care package. And um, not only is it going to help families, but, you know, um, lots of people in the medical profession will tell you that that will also lead to better health outcomes as well, too. Uh, so that's a really important one. Um, remember, the government has also done a couple of other things to try to help families as well. Uh, the, uh, the introduction of the National Child Care Program, uh, that's a huge boost to a lot of families. Uh, lots of changes uh, and increases to the Canada Ch- uh, Child uh, Benefit. Um, and then they made some enhancements to seniors' benefits as well, too. So this is part of a larger package on affordability. Um, I know there were some people who were thinking that maybe PharmaCare may be on this one. But um, maybe that's for a later budget, but uh, this certainly fits in within trying to help uh, the middle class. There's also $8 billion in new spending for defense. Uh, Still doesn't bring Canada up to NATO's request for 2% of GDP. How do you think this this is going to play out nationally and internationally? Yeah, so uh, look, uh, to move to 2% immediately would have been a huge climb and certainly had a huge impact on the budget. Um, I suspect Canada will continue to face international pressure to get to 2% uh, sooner rather than later. And, you know, there'll be pressure to have a plan to to get to that 2%. But I think that, you know what, the international community will see the investment to be substantial, uh, particularly given what Canada is doing uh, in terms of investment for the Ukraine war, in terms of military and non-military planes, um, uh, equipment. And then, of course, the... uh, the pending uh, purchase of the uh, F-35s. I think those are two big um, initiatives that I think the government's going to get some credit for, but obviously lots more to do there. Uh, Minister Christian Freeland emphasized the need to, quote, review and reduce government spending. So given that, should we expect future budgets to be even more modest? Yeah, well, look, um, obviously, given where we came from, you're certainly going to see less spending than we've seen the last couple of years. They did uh, identify that policy review. It's not a full-force program review as governments have been doing in the past. It's certainly not one of those things that suggests any kind of austerity measures. But I think this is part of the government's larger picture about trying to be prudent with its spending, which, as you know, it was being heavily criticized over the last 18 months or so that it wasn't paying enough attention to you know, the, physical, uh, the fiscal sustainability of this country. One of the reasons we did really well through the pandemic and the fact that the government could provide the kind of individual business and other supports was because we built up a fiscal dividend. We had the lowest debt to GDP of any country in the world, um, and that allowed us to spend what we did. But now the debt to GDP is gone from 30 percent to 50 percent. And, you know, the public debt interest charges on all of that borrowing, which has now left us with a... uh, a debt of about a billion two, 
um, it goes from 20 billion to 40 billion. So what all that means for the average consumer is that if we're paying more for interest, just like you do on your mortgage, not a lot is going to the principal. In this case, when you pay more interest for every dollar that's coming in, that means less money for programs like health care, uh, seniors' needs, uh, infrastructure, and other priority programs. Mr. Nanji, thanks for breaking it all down with us today, and enjoy the rest of your day. My pleasure. Take care. Have a great day. You too. That is Mahmoud Nanji. He is a fellow at the Lawrence National Center for Policy and Management with the Ivy Business School at Western University. Also, a former Ontario Associate Deputy Finance Minister. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Nothing says spring like baseball. I know we had an abbreviated spring training, but having regular season baseball back, especially at the Rogers Center, which... You know, over the last couple of years, it's been a hit and miss, pardon the pun, at uh, with, with baseball in Canada, but it is back. Jays and Rangers hooking up tonight at Rogers Centre. It's the 2022 MLB season opener for the Bluebirds. Julia Kreutz is a writer for Yahoo Sports Canada and is going to be joining MLB as a writer on Monday and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Good morning, Julia. Hello. Thank you so much. Uh, thanks for having me on. Good morning and excited to get this season started. <laughs> this is, as, as Paul Tipple, our, uh, our lead anchor here on 900 CHML, has been mentioning, this is going to be the biggest gathering in Ontario since the pandemic began. That is, I hadn't thought about that. It, that yeah, is wild to think about. It's pretty cool. Uh, all right, let's talk some baseball. Vladdy Guerrero said last year was the trailer, this year is the movie. Does that mean World Series or bust in 2022? Yeah, I think these guys are still young, Rick. So obviously, like Bo said yesterday at the at the Blue Jays workout at Rogers Center, he said, this is what we're aiming for. He said, we have expectations uh, for ourselves that are bigger than anyone could ever imagine and bigger than anyone else's. And so I think that that is obviously their ultimate goal. They are focused. They are sharp. They're ready for it. But obviously, you know, if it doesn't happen this season, doesn't mean that the season is um, a waste. I think that especially for this young core, the more experience and the more learning opportunities that they get, the better they'll be for years to come. And like Ross Atkins alluded to yesterday as well, the Blue Jays' goal is to keep this group um, together for a long time. So, yes, this is an important season, but... I would say that there are more seasons after this one. <laughs> Definitely so. I know a lot of people want to focus on the offense, and rightfully so, because it's one of the best in baseball. But I want to chat to you about uh, the pitching staff, because you know we saw Cy Young Award winner Robbie Ray leave Toronto in the offseason to join the Seattle Mariners. And saying that, I really do like Toronto's starting rotation. Where do you stand on the rotation? The rotation is definitely one of the deepest in baseball right now. And that is a really exciting thing to say because we know that it has been a, a, a point of a lot of question marks for the last couple of seasons, not only the rotation, but also the bullpen. Now, what, the, what a consistent rotation will give the Blue Jays is that it will give the Jays some flexibility to use their young guys, to use their up-and-coming pitcher, pitchers as relievers. And as we know, the bullpen as well has not has been – questionable for the last couple of seasons. And so that gives them some versatility as well, chance a chance to try new things. And that's really what what a deep rotation gives you. Of course, we have some ace caliber pitchers there. Alec Manoa had a tremendous rookie season. Kevin Gossman, is, Blue Jays fan base is rightfully excited about 
the addition of Kevin Gossman. Barrios just got extended. He's the opening day starter. Shinjin Ryu, which is it's it's interesting that you know it takes me four starting pitchers to talk about a guy like Shinjin Ryu. So there is a lot to be excited about there. And the the Blue Jays went ahead and they did it. They spent the money, they got the guys, and they're ready to go. Also bringing in another uh, free agent, Yusei Kikuchi, uh, as uh, the number five guy right now. Very exciting starting rotation. And I would suggest that, you know, if the bullpen, which includes Markham's Jordan Romano as uh, one of the elite closers in the league, if the bullpen can take uh, even one step forward, do you think this team has a chance to challenge the all-time record of 99 wins in a season? That is a, that is a projection that is very hard to make in the American League East. That's what I will say about that. If it were any other division, I would be a little more confident in saying that. But because the AL East is so competitive, all of the projections are murky. <laughs> no one really knows what to expect out of that league. Some, projection has, some projections have the Jays winning 90-plus games. Some of them have four teams in the AL East winning 88 games. <laughs> it's so hard to to make predictions for that division. And that's what makes it all the more exciting, in my opinion. That 99-win total accomplished by the 1985 Blue Jays. We're in discussion with Julia Kreutz, writer with Yahoo Sports Canada, is going to be joining MLB as a writer on Monday, which is pretty exciting. Toronto was the top offensive team in a number of statistical categories uh, league-wide, not just in the American League, but of, of all the majors. Can they be even more lethal this season? It certainly looks that way. The addition of Matt Chapman, who's a power hitter, who's batting number six, which tells you all you need to know about this lineup. George Stringer, you know, the, the, the prospect of having him healthy for a full season and playing a majority of games after missing, you know, almost half the season last year. It certainly looks like they are poised for another record-breaking season. here. Of course, Lagro Jr. is only going to get better Bo Bichette, same thing. Teoscar Hernandez, the, the perennial silver slugger at this point. There's a lot of upside to this offensive, offensive lineup, and it wouldn't be far-fetched to predict some, some more records for the Blue Jays. And for fans who are going to the ballpark, not only for tonight's home opener, but uh, all season long, there's some new stuff at Rogers Center to see. That's right. It's, uh, for me, I'm, I'm, more, I'm most excited about the new uh, scoreboard. I will, I will tell you, the lights do seem a little bit brighter this year, but the scoreboard is just phenomenal. It's, uh, it's, it's really special, really dynamic to see. Of course, more concessions, more beer options, which I know is something that Blue Jays fans will be, will be excited about. I used to be a beer vendor at Rogers Center, and so I've been on the, on the receiving end of, of some of the opinions there. <laughs> Definitely a lot to be excited about uh, at Rogers Center this year. No doubt about it. I think the I think the scoreboard's like top five in terms of its its size in the major leagues. There's new field turf as well. It's going to be an exciting time to get back to Rogers Center to cheer on the Blue Jays this season. Julia, all the best tonight and all season long. We'll catch up with you another time. Thank you very much, and good morning to everyone. That is Julia Kreutz, writer with Yahoo Sports Canada. As of Monday, will be a writer for MLB, an exciting transition for her as she gets to cover the Toronto Blue Jays. World Series champions in 2022, we shall see. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. For the first time in franchise history, this is pretty cool, the Hamilton Bulldogs are number one in the CHL rankings. Yeah, the number one junior outfit in all of Canada. 
few more games to go here in the regular season, then it's playoff time here as the top-ranked Bulldogs get set to take on all comers. Head coach Jay McKee joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Good morning, Jay. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Number one in Canada. That's that's pretty cool. Yeah, I, I think it's, uh, you know, I think the boys should be proud of what they've, the work they've put in and the, the details they've had. And, and uh, it really takes a lot. It takes uh, a village to get to that point. So I think they should all be, uh, everyone involved should be proud of that. Yep. How do you prevent the players from getting overconfident? And can you use it as uh, motivation for this team to, you know, continue to be full steam ahead? Well, we talked on the ice the other day about, you know, it's nice to get that recognition, but, you know, there's a bigger picture for us. And, you know, I think when you get that kind of recognition, I told them that the games don't magically get easier. They they actually get harder because uh, every team will see a small victory and taking, uh, taking down a team that's ranked like that. So, um, you know, just stay humble, work hard, and, uh, you know, uh, just, just enjoy the moment that uh, – They've gotten from that recognition, and uh, there's a lot of hard work ahead. So we've got to put that behind us and uh, look at the big picture. Bulldogs have gone 10 straight games now of scoring at least three goals. How important is that offensive consistency, especially come playoff time? Oh, it's huge. And, and uh, you know, we're fortunate. Uh, Steve Steos has done a great job at, at, you know, getting some depth throughout our lineup. And, uh, you know, every night it could be a different line or, uh, uh, you know, one or two D chipping in for the goal. So, um, the guys have been good. They, they all work hard and uh, they find ways and uh, we want to keep this ball rolling. Bulldogs have 46 wins on the season. I know you know where I'm going with this. Five games to go. There is a chance, mathematically, of course, to get to 50. And that's a number that few teams have reached uh, in a season. Is the 50-win club one that you'd like to join? We, we haven't talked about it as a group. Um, you know, if we get there, that, that would just be another achievement on the backs of the players and but, you know, I think the main focus is, is just trying to secure home ice throughout the playoffs, uh, regardless of who we play. We're still not there yet, so that's our, our focus right now. Bulldogs aim for their sixth win in a row tonight in Ottawa. We're speaking with head coach Jay McKee the Hamilton Bulldogs on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Every coach wants to get a little bit more out of their team. How can this team get just a little bit better? It's hard work every day. It's staying, uh, you know, keeping the attention to the details and, and pushing each other. You know, there's there's a lot of work ahead. You know, we don't want to be uh, a team that gets into the playoffs and, and uh, playing loose. We want to be, you know, tight within our systems and, and hardworking. Uh, you know, so we, we talk every day about uh, staying on top of the habits and, um, you know, good things will come. Is there a flip to be switched here come playoff time? you got a, a tight-knit group, a lot of veterans on this team, a good core, solid goaltending. I mean, everything that you want in a hockey team is there. Is there another level, or as I mentioned, a flip that you have to switch come round one of the playoffs? Well, I, I think, um, you know, the season's long for every team, especially with the compounded schedule from, uh, you know, a bit of time off from COVID. So I, I think at every league in hockey, there's, Every team has a different switch. When you get to playoffs, uh, you know, there's another level. It, everything, every game matters uh, so much more than a regular season game. So I think as each round goes in each playoff uh, at all levels, uh, it gets more intense, it gets quicker, it gets uh, more emotional. So, um, yeah, it, it's like preseason is one season, regular season is another, and then playoffs are, are a whole new ball game. So I, I'm looking forward. I think everyone is looking forward to uh, – when we get there. And we're looking forward to watching you guys go uh, all the way, hopefully this year. Jay, really appreciate the time today. Good luck tonight and the rest of the way. 
Okay, thank you. My pleasure. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. The Ontario Minor Hockey Association Championships continue this weekend. Minor hockey's first major in-person event since the start of the pandemic, believe it or not. Ian Taylor is the executive director of the OMHA and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Good morning, Ian. Hi, Rick. Thanks for having me. What has it been like getting back on the ice, having parents and family members and friends in the rink as well? Well, I'll tell, I'll tell you, I mean, we, we did, after the pause in January that we had, um, you know, we, we got hockey. Hockey was back in terms of uh, our regular season play. But uh, over this uh, these past three weekends, we've uh, launched our, our new format of our OMHA championships. And I'll tell you, the, the, you know, being at two of the events so far, you can see the desire of people to get back to normalcy. And I'm, I'm sure you guys have talked about this uh, a ton over the past two years, but, but it's tangible. It's uh, you can actually, you know, you could really feel the, the pent up uh, desire for people to get back to uh, um, again, whatever normal is in this case, watching, watching either their kids play hockey, but also family members, grandparents, all that sort of thing. So it, it's been fantastic. How challenging has the last couple of years been? Well, you know, very, very, uh, certainly, certainly through, uh, gosh, you got to think back, you know, from, from, uh, last year, I guess, I guess the first season impacted, uh, where we had severe restrictions on, on, uh, gameplay for, you know, in that area. But this year we, we did get back and there was a lot of hope that we, w- you know, that we wouldn't have any restrictions or, or certainly reduce any. And, and like I say, we had that one gap in, in January, but, but overall, you know, it's it's it, 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 it's been good, and I, I want to, you know, it's been positive that we've been able to get kids back on the ice, get kids active. We've heard a lot about again the the the, the mental health challenges for for kids being just uh, um, not being able to interact with their peers and stuck in front of of, of uh, screens, that sort of thing. But so so this year we were able to do that. Like I say, we had a bit of a wobble there in in January when we had that shutdown, but. Uh, we were able to finish our regular season, and like I say, sell, this this really becomes a celebration of not only getting through this, but but of hockey in general, and and like I say, hopefully, hopefully, a uh, path back to uh, normalcy. Yeah, that's what we're all hoping for for sure. What is happening this weekend? So over the past uh, three weekends, uh, and including this one, we've uh, we've launched a uh, a new format for our our championships, and that's basically we've. We've identified, or we have five uh, locations uh, across the the OMHA, which is a large geographical area: Windsor, Oakville, uh, Barrie, Whitby, and uh, Kingston. Um, and basically, what we've done is we've created a format to bring teams together into a kind of an event style or a tournament style format, um, and and really creating um, again a, a an event and an experience to to top off the season for. Uh, for our, our teams that have, have come, um, basically have come forward from their league championships, and now they're come together and, and they'll play teams from across the province. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML is Ian Taylor, Executive Director of the Ontario Minor Hockey Association, as their championships weekend continues this weekend. Uh, how has the new format been received, and could this be the new normal going forward? I, I, the goal is that it will be the new normal going forward, and and for for a few reasons, and and w- one is the the championship event itself, as I said, bringing together the number of teams, creating that that energy, that buzz, and experience, and, and again, a, a real 
you know, celebration of the whole year. But, but I, I think the, the, you know, Rick, honestly, the, the biggest uh, benefit to this new model is, is that we, um, we create a longer regular season. That means more players are playing longer. We're not eliminating players through, through series and, and uh, elimination style series and through, through play downs. And so by keeping kids playing longer, we had everybody playing meaningful hockey right into, into March. Um, and, and then we top it off with this championship format. So there's a real benefit, I think, overall to the player experience for everybody. Um, like I say, just simply more kids playing longer. That's that's a positive in our books. We're seeing a lot of people gravitate. When I say people, a lot of kids gravitating to sports like uh, soccer, which has traditionally been very popular, uh, tennis, sure. golf, um, basketball. Certainly, with the success of you know the Raptors and and golfers like Mackenzie Hughes from Dundas, or tennis players like Felix Oje Aliassime, um, all these young and up and coming stars. And are, are kids still sticking with hockey? Is it still the number one, I guess, winter activity in terms of, you know, parents enrolling their kids or are parents considering looking at other sports? It's, you know, it's a great question, Rick. I, I think, I think more than ever, people have, you know, an incredible array of options to them. So, so you're right. I mean, hockey isn't, isn't the automatic number one choice simply because we live in, in a, you know, a, a cold climate in the winter. So, so there's lots of options out there. So, you know, what we still see our registration is still strong. Um, we have been challenged through COVID as, as everyone has been, but um, I think overall our, what we have to focus on is, is that player experience. And simply because there are lots of options for people, uh, for families and their kids. We, we also saw coming through the pandemic, uh, families kind of reassessing. How do we want to spend our time? We want to spend more time. You know, everyone was home for dinner. <laughs> um, families were going skiing, perhaps something like that, where they could do that together. So, uh, you know, the 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 job of hockey, or, or certainly a lot of team sports, is to ensure that we continue to have that experience. There's something positive. We're engaging families and their and their kids. And ultimately, at the end of the day, success will be will be determined by if they come back. That, that will be our, our metric. Yeah, and definitely we know that uh, hockey provides a great source of teamwork and camaraderie and uh, learning to count on the other, uh, you know, boy or girl or man or woman, whatever the case is, and it's still sure. an amazing sport to watch as well. And Ian, you guys are doing a phenomenal job. Keep up the great work, and thanks for the time today. You bet, Rick. Thanks for having us. That's Ian Taylor, Executive Director of the Ontario Minor Hockey Association, as their championships weekend continues this weekend, the first time that uh, major in-person events in regards to minor hockey have been held. They've been in places like Oakville and Kingston and Barrie and Whitby, and now this weekend in Windsor, where 41 champions overall will be crowned over more than, well, nearly 900 games. So it's great, and congrats to all the championship teams out there. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Big day on Monday. Monday is World Parkinson's Day. And just in time to recognize that occasion, there's a new Parkinson's Wellness Innovation Center opening up right here in Hamilton. Orla Harris is a physiotherapist and founder of the Parkinson's Wellness Innovation Center and joins us on Good Morning Hamilton. Good morning, Orla. How are you today? Good morning, Rick. I'm very well, thank you. Excellent. Tell us about this new center. Yeah, so this is um, a year in the making. Well, actually longer than a year in the making. Um, It's a center where we're going to have lots of group work, lots of one-to-one therapies, um, lots of support to get people moving again. 
Um, you know, the pandemic has been incredibly difficult on a lot of people, but more so for those with Parkinson's. Um, exercise has shown to decrease and slow down the Parkinson's symptoms, and we need to get everybody moving as soon as possible. So and this that's is what we're going to do here. Yeah, you said this is about uh, more more than a year in the making. Has there been a, a groundswell in terms of uh, you know this type of facility is needed in our community? Absolutely. Um, in this sort of community, there has been there's nothing available right now as a group innovation center. There's nothing that has that specialized care for for Parkinson's. You have all of the movement disorder specialists, the doctors, but nothing else available to those. And, you know, you've got different groups everywhere else in little bits, and we want to try and put it all on, under the one umbrella so you can find it all here rather than having to try and search around. As I mentioned, this comes at a good time. Monday is World Parkinson's Day. Is there anything special being planned for Monday? Um, yes, our Rock City Boxers are going to be doing a Fit to Stand a challenge here in class. So we're going to be seeing how many squats they can do within within the hour. And then we have Let's Shake, who is going to be doing a push-up for Parkinson's, and she did a fundraiser last year as well for that. So that's pushing up, uh, you know, lots of push-ups. Um, and then we have our open house on the 23rd of April as well. Orla Harris is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Orla is a physiotherapist and founder of the Parkinson's Wellness Innovation Centre. Where is the centre located? We are located at 150 Chatham Street, which is just off Reed Street. It's right beca- right beside Soccer World. Very easy access to the highway. Um I am tucked back into the back of a car park right by Mabel's Labels. So there's a there's a car park as you turn right just past Mabel's Labels right. off Chatham. E- easy to find. More than 100,000 Canadians live with Parkinson's and 25 more are diagnosed every day. What should our listeners know about Parkinson's? Parkinson's is a disease that causes movement issues um, for the for the main parts. So you've got movement issues where you get lo- really slow. You may have tremor. You may not have tremor. And then there are other people that have non-motor symptoms, so a lot of anxiety, depression, sleep issues. You lose your sense of smell. And then the, the movement side of things, you might lose that fine motor issue, so getting your buttons tied up, getting your laces on, getting socks on. And we try to actually help with that. So I'm. this is what the centre is really good at, is actually helping with the movement issues. I had no idea that Parkinson's disease is the fastest growing neurological condition in the world. Mm, yeah, I know. It's, uh, but there's a lot of different things actually happening now. So, and you know, getting the support and getting the help early on helps to slow down the progression. And there's lots of different things in the pipeline that is going to help. Are there any warning signs? They say that sometimes depression can happen about 10 years before you have major motor symptoms. Um, so the movement issues come later. The sense of smell may go, your depression, and you may have constipation as well. That, that may predispose, predispose the, the actual diagnosis. A new Parkinson's Wellness Innovation Center opening up in Hamilton. We're chatting with the founder and a physiotherapist, Orla Hares, here on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. What kind of research is being done to find a cure for Parkinson's? Because right now there is no cure. There is no cure. There's lots and lots of research to try and find a cure. But there's lots of research to show how to help the symptoms. Um, We are actually currently about to launch a research study using light therapy which is very, very promising. There's quite a few studies that have been done recently on Parkinson's disease, and it actually helps to 
normalize your cells, so right down on the cell, cellular level from the gut and the brain. Um, so you can listen out for that for when we actually launch on that, which uh, will be very interesting. Yeah, very much so. Orla, really appreciate your time today. Best of luck with this Innovation Center, and I'm sure you're going to be helping a lot of people. Thank you very much, Rick. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review.